True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, True Multifamily listeners. Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. This is a very special, very timely episode of True Multifamily, and it's really nothing like any episode I've ever done before. You know, last week, for a very brief moment in time, the eviction moratorium was expired, and we rejoiced as landlords. But as you may know, by August 3rd, that eviction moratorium was extended again. You know, in our portfolio, we have a lot of tenants who are delinquent, who have not filed for aid. And, you know, those tenants that have not filed for aid, who are delinquent, who don't communicate, those are the ones that apply, that this eviction moratorium applies to. So we moved fairly quickly when that moratorium expired. We had 30 approvals for eviction in those two days across the portfolio. And really the next step was for the sheriffs to come and do the lockout. But now that that moratorium is extended again, I don't know what is going to happen with them. It does not look like those tenants are going to be leaving anytime soon. So look, in the long run, we're going to be okay. It's not taking down our company. It's not taking down our properties. This moratorium has gone on long enough that we know how to operate within the boundaries of the law, of the moratorium. But I want to bring you all this very special episode because I've interviewed five of my past guests. And I want to hear how they are faring during COVID. What are they doing now? Now that the moratorium has been extended, how do they handle that? How are they communicating? Um, What are the very, very detailed notes and tips and tricks that they can give us to operate our properties through this moratorium? So before I jump in, I do want to say none of my guests nor myself are attorneys and everyone here is sharing their personal experiences. So please consult your property manager, consult your attorneys. Uh, before attempting any strategies you may hear on this podcast. Okay, let's jump right into it. Let me introduce my guest. Kyle Mitchell with Limitless Estates, managing partner. Uh, I have $55 million of assets under management in Phoenix and Tucson, Arizona. Hey, everybody, Jerome Myers with the Myers Development Group. We've got a small portfolio in Virginia, North Carolina. And Justin, I'm just grateful to be with you today, man. I know you're a real deal operator. I'd like to think that I am as well. So to have these conversations about some pretty tough topics is, I think, going to be fruitful for all your listeners. We're Luke and Daisy of Make It Rain Capital. We're uh, focused in the central Texas markets. Our portfolio consists of two passive investments. It's about 450 units. And then we have one active investment in Austin, Texas, and that's a 42 unit. My name is Alex Felice. I am a real estate investor in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I have 84 multifamily doors and I could not do it if I didn't have Justin Fraser and the true multifamily family behind me and supporting me. And I'm incredibly thankful for you. The first thing I wanted to know is how everyone's portfolios have performed through COVID with the eviction moratorium in place. 
Yeah, we've had some challenges and I think it varies between the properties that we've had. Uh, you know, we've had one that we bought several years ago that has been stabilized and then we sold it during COVID actually. So on that one, we had zero, maybe one or 2% delinquency, which is fantastic. Then we had another property that we closed on about three months before COVID. And we were going through the transition of getting the bad tenants out, putting new tenants in. And so we've had higher delinquency at that property, but still 90% collections rate. So I would say five to 6% um, in additional delinquencies at that property. And then we had another one that we actually closed during COVID, but that one, good or bad, was mainly Section 8 tenants that we're trying to get out. So we haven't been able to transition the Section 8 as quickly as we wanted to, but at the same time, our delinquency is much lower. But at all of our properties, we're still collecting above. 90% all the way up to 96. I asked Kyle to expand on whether he thought there was anything about the class of property that was a determining factor in the delinquency. Here's what he had to say. The only thing different about the properties, I mean, they're all in class B minus C plus areas, uh, type that type of product as well. The biggest thing is where we were in our business plan, I think was the biggest factor there. So again, if it was stabilized, a lot less delinquency or having just acquired it, you know, we look for value at properties with an operational inefficiency. And so though, a lot of the times the operational inefficiency is also bad residents in there that really aren't qualified and shouldn't be. And so getting them out has been a challenge during COVID. And I think those are the properties that have performed worse from a delinquency standpoint, again, still above 90%, but not really where we want to see it. Okay. This is interesting. For Kyle, it's not really about A or B minus or C plus properties. It's more about the phase of the business plan that the property is in. Jerome kind of said this as well. Yeah. Overall, I think the portfolio has performed pretty well, but that's because we've had highs and lows. We've got properties where we're collecting all the rent all the time. And then we got properties where people have just decided that they're not going to pay their rent. And, you know, I didn't think that COVID really discriminated. You know, some people was like, oh, well, you know, A is going to get hurt or C is going to get hurt. You know, we've got properties that we think span all different levels of a multifamily. And to be honest with you, we've seen impacts in every different space and place. Luke and Daisy said something similar. Let's hear how their properties are performing. They've performed well, actually, on, on both ends, the, the passive investments as well as the active investment. The passive investments, those the property management company has always been very proactive about working with tenants, helping them apply for, for aid. There's a lot of aid in Texas that's state-specific as well, in addition to the national aid that's available for rent relief. So that's been really successful on that end to where collections have continued, you know, above 90 I would say 95, 96%, which is, has been great. And on the 42 unit, the active deal that we're in, it hasn't quite applied, I would say, uh, because we acquired on April 23rd of 2021. We're in end of beginning of August, right, right now. And a lot of the units were month to month when the property was acquired. So with that, you know, there was the opportunity to not renew the lease in which case the eviction moratorium didn't come into play, right? That was completely separate. And with the eviction moratorium ending and now getting extended out even longer, we continue to turn those units that are, you know, that become vacant because of the leases. So there hasn't really been a direct impact, I would say, to that property specifically. Luke and Daisy are in renovation mode at their 42 unit. So when they acquired this property with a lot of vacancy, a lot of expiring leases, this whole COVID just allowed them to expedite their business plan and keep on renovating. You know, for me, we're seeing this at one of our properties, Diamond Ridge as well. We have a lot of delinquent tenants 
and we have a lot of vacancy. So we're just pushing through our renovations on the vacants and we'll catch up on the units that have delinquency, you know, once we're able to remove them, hopefully in the near future. Alex also spoke about his month-to-month tenants and their expiring leases. I don't know how other operators are going, so I can't say relative to them, but I feel like we've been very lucky. We've had some people become squatters, but overall, I think it's been a small percentage. And because you know my multifamily portfolio is about 84 doors, it hasn't been catastrophic for us. What we've done to mitigate some of this is we've gone only to month-to-month leases because I don't know how it is systemically in the nation. I just know what our little city is doing. You cannot evict for non-payment but you can still evict for everything else. And so we put everybody on 30-day leases and when they stop paying, we're like, look, their lease is up. We want to evict. And that has worked for us. So we've gone month-to-month leases only and we've done higher than normal deposits because the other side of this is, yeah, there's an eviction moratorium, but there's also rental demand is higher. So we want to get people that are not going to pay out and we're trying to find just better tenants. And that has largely worked for us, especially since the eviction moratorium has gone on for so long. We kind of had that in mind when we vet new people, like, are these people going to not pay and then squat because we can just not rent to them. So we've not had that much of a problem. We did acquire a property mid COVID and there has been a higher percentage of people there who have kind of tried to get some over and and getting those out have been a little bit harder, but it is largely been, we've been successful. Okay. That makes sense. Has your month to month evictions, have those been challenged in in any courts or the tenants are accepting it? Uh, Some. It's it's not been, I won't say it's been easy, but we've had success getting, doing 30-day tenants and then saying, hey, look, you, you stop paying. We're going to at least start that process and get it worked in right away. That instead of us just being, well, we're stuck, we got a year tenant and they won't pay. We're stuck. This way it gives us like, hey, look, they were a 30-day tenant. They stopped paying. They have no lease. This has given us a lot more leverage. Does it always work easily? No. Do sometimes people um, delay or appeal or all these things? And then, you know, they end up getting an extra month or two from us. It has happened, but largely it has worked in our favor. So we're hearing varying levels of effectiveness based on the phase of the business plan. Some success in non-renewals, month-to-month tenants. I asked all my guests how they've had success collecting rents at their properties. Here's Jerome. So we use third party for everything, but are doing weekly calls to make sure we're ingrained in the hand-to-hand combat that they're experiencing on a weekly basis. They have done a number of different things. One, just made them aware of all of the different rental assistance programs that are out there. Um, We've had some folks who were truly impacted by COVID, and they did get some support. I remember one lady was to the tune of about $7,000 behind on her rent. And so for the rental assistance agency to show up and pay not only that, but a little bit of surplus to give her some more runway to keep going, was amazing from our perspective. And we felt really good about when there was that little window where we could evict her not doing so. Now, I can't say that that's been the case with everybody. We've had people who've had balances in the two to $5,000 range who just get up and move in the middle of the night. And when I say move, they don't actually take anything but their clothes. They leave all the furniture, they leave most of their kids' toys. And so that results in us, you know, having to do a clean out and a turn that maybe we hadn't planned on. And so, you know, that part's been challenging. And I think the last piece, you know, we're fortunate in the city of Greensboro to have a government who's actually involved in writing some checks as well. And so landlords can submit their residents to the program to get payment. And I think really all the resident has to do is confirm that they actually live at the address. Whereas some of the other programs were a little more onerous and people decided not to participate because it was too much paperwork for them to do. 
Rental assistance and state aid is the hot topic right now. The new text of the eviction moratorium even admits that most of the aid that's been set aside has not gone out. Uh, Jerome seeing that in Greensboro, the landlords can submit their residents. Um, that's not the case everywhere. Even in our next town over, we're in Winston-Salem. Our tenants have to be the ones that submit that applications. Uh, Luke and Daisy, with their properties in Texas, are seeing similar results to Jerome. Yeah, so what we've seen specifically on the passive investments is that they've been super proactive in terms of going out to the residents, making sure to email them, or the ones that they see are behind, right, where there's some bad debt for, for certain units. They're talking to them and saying, hey, these programs are available, or we can get you on a payment plan, things along those lines, right? And that's actually helped through, especially the spring and the fall of, of last year, just making sure the bad debt really ended up staying low. And at most, it was about $10,000 worth of bad debt at, at any time. And that's on a, you know, on a 200 unit property and then a 250 unit property. So the fact that they were being um, proactive in, in those two ways, making sure that they were going to the tenants where they were seeing issues and then also providing those solutions and those resources that are there, whether it's a payment plan or or aid that that ended up doing really, really well in those two instances. Yeah, and I would add that the, the property management company is also able to apply for tenants. So as long as they have their approval, right, then the property management uh, company directly can submit that application uh, for aid. And so that's been really instrumental, right, because there's no excuse. then at that point, the only reason a tenant would decline is I'm not sure what that reason would be, but we had, we didn't experience that on our end, thankfully. Um, so that's that was a, a huge help, right? It's, it's going beyond the national aid that was there, looking at Texas, even looking locally within San Antonio, which is where the properties are located, to see what's the aid specifically available there, and then submitting that application for them as needed. Alex has seen good results with Section 8 and the North Carolina HOPE program. We do work with Section 8. We have an existing relationship with the Section 8 office in our town because we work with them because, of the, you know, I buy C-class properties. So we do have that relationship and that helped uh, has helped us. As far as I know, I don't, I'm not boots on the ground for this uh, or I'm not in the, in the mud for this. So that having a pre-existing relationship with the Section 8 office kind of helps because they know that we're doing good by their people. There is this thing called the HOPE program. I don't know if that's nationwide or what the deal is. It's something we've used and we've used it extensively. There is a delay. So we're finding it to be about a 75 to 90 day delay from the time that we agreed, they say yes. And then before they pay us, it's about two or three months. So we do have an economic vacancy on our balance sheet that's a bit volatile because you'll see three months of economic vacancy and then you'll see a catch up. So we are definitely playing the averages, but that's multifamily in general. If you go month to month, it's like checking the stock market every day. You're just going to give yourself a heart attack. You have to do the averages. So the whole program is about a 75 to 90 day delay, but we have had success with it. Ask Daisy what happens if the tenants don't apply for aid and they don't communicate. It's really dependent on the tenant themselves, right? The, the resident themselves and, and what their history is. If we've seen that they've tried to work with us, right? That they're communicative, that they want to be there, right? That they're trying to, to do what they can to, uh, you know, to pay the, the back rent, then we'll work with them, right? We'll put them on a payment plan, right? We'll see what programs are available for, help them apply for those. Uh, we have had some problem tenants though as well. And so with those problem tenants, then the offer was to, 
wipe out the back rent completely uh, if they're willing to give up the keys, assuming that their lease wasn't coming up, right, being due. If their lease was going to be due pretty soon, then it was non-renewing, right, for, for those, and then taking a hit on the bad debt for all of the back rent that was owed. So it was really resident dependent on their, their status and their communication and, you know, what they've been doing and, and trying to do working with the, the property management company. Here's what Kyle says about the tenants wanting to do the right thing. Yeah, it's been a lot of hands-on hand-holding with the residents, you know, more communication with the residents. I think you've got your majority of residents, which we found out during COVID, people want to pay their rent. You know, it wasn't like everyone thought when COVID came out that 50% of the people are just going to ignore their responsibility to pay rent. I think you have 90, 95% of the people want to do the right thing. And then you have other people that are going to take advantage of you. But what we're doing is we're sending letters out. We're even sitting down in the office trying to go through the assistance stuff with our residents to try and get them the assistance they need to be able to pay their rent. And then there's other people that just won't. And in the state of Arizona, you can still evict people just not for non-payment of rent. And so, you know, we've still been able to evict the people that have, are there causing crime and doing things against their lease. But for the people that just, you know, have the CDC letter, there's not much we can do at this point except try and work with them. And so it's been a lot of hand-holding and definitely communication with the residents. I asked Jerome about the alternative. If we have owner as owners can't collect rent, what happens? Well, I think the place that most people would go first is not paying their debt, right? Because I think most folks are probably yep. leveraged somewhere between 60 and 80%. And so that is one of the biggest expenses. You know, we when we set up our deals, we want our mortgage expense to be something less than 35% of our total pie. And so, you know, if I can just take 35% off of the bottom line or get some type of forgiveness, which we haven't actually experienced during the pandemic. I think it creates a lot of room for you. Now, with that said, you've got to have a willing bank partner or, you know, they, they can begin the process. But the great thing about most of these lending institutions is they don't actually want your property. <laughs> they don't want to operate it. So um, you probably got a little bit of flexibility or wiggle room there. Kyle was ready to evict when the moratorium expired, and now that it's extended, he makes sure his property managers are very direct with tenants, and the tenants know exactly what comes next if they do not pay. We were ready to go, and so now those are actually in limbo. They're in front of the judge, and we're kind of waiting to see what we're going to do. Nothing else has really changed other than, you know, again, more communication with the residents saying, hey, one thing we do is we send out a letter and we actually say, hey, if you don't pay rent, here's what's going to happen. Because I think a lot of residents think the eviction moratorium means they're going to be completely forgiven. They don't have to they don't have to pay rent ever on it and they won't you know, there's not going to be back charges or not going to get uh, anything against their credit. And that's not true. And so we say, OK, if you move out now, here's what can happen. We won't we won't hit your credit. We won't file for eviction. Uh, we'll waive all past due delinquency as long as you give us that inventory back or, you know, your credit will get hit. Uh, you won't be able to rent from future apartments. Uh, you're still going to owe us. We're going to send you to collections. And so we haven't had huge success with that, but we've been able to uh, get five or six units back online because of that. And five or six units that weren't paying rent before is a huge number. So those are, that's something else that we're doing. Absolutely. And we dove deep on that when you joined me on the last episode when you were on True Multifamily. And I actually hit you up for that letter afterwards. And, and we sent it out to our tenants as well with very similar messaging and have had varying degrees of success. My question for you now is, you know, let's say you've got a tenant that hasn't paid you in three, four months, 
you know, we, the eviction moratorium just this week is now extended another two months. Do I still offer them to walk away if they owe me multiple, multiple months? And I know I'm two months away from maybe finally being able to file eviction on them. How, how do I make that determination? Yeah, for me, I'm not convinced that we only have two more months. I mean, look, we were we were into we were done with the eviction moratorium and now all of a sudden it's back. And so it's just kicking down the can down the road and it's just making it worse and worse and worse. And they are saying, oh, it's because the 46 billion in relief, only three billion has been released. Well, that's ridiculous. It's been a year. Let's go. Let's get it going. So I'm not confident in that. And if I can get a unit back up and running and get revenue going in the next 30 days, I'm going to take that now. Now, we are seeing also that some of that rent relief is coming in. And so if the resident is communicating with us and is trying to make payments, is on a payment plan and has shown us that they've applied for everything and that they're just in the pending process, then yeah, we'll probably hold out a little bit and wait a little bit. But there are people who have not communicated to us for six months now that are not applying for anything and are just taking advantage of the situation. And those are the people that we're really looking to move out so we can move on. Finally, I asked everyone how we move forward and the impact this moratorium will have on their investments in the future. Here's Daisy and Luke. We have so many vacant units, right? There were 20 uh, month-to-month leases uh, that, you know, were there when we acquired the, the property. And so, you know, with not all of those being extended, right, then it's giving us the opportunity to turn those units faster than anticipated. So that's been great, right? There's been a hit at, at the front end, I would say, in terms of the CapEx budget, because it's been higher than what was planned for. But at the same time, it'll give us the, the opportunity to turn those units faster than we expected. So it's sort of worked out well for us and in terms of of that right like luke said it's a the perfect storm for us to be able to move quicker through our business plan i love it you're taking this you know could be very negative scenario and turning into a positive and i agree we've seen a lot of the same just hey let's let's pour gas on this fire and start renovating more than we were planning and put the money into it and you know when we come out of this thing uh we'll have a whole bunch of renovated units and very high rents i don't know if you guys are seeing the same thing but we're seeing higher rents across our portfolio than we were even expecting this year yeah same deal with us i mean most of the rents were underwritten to 1100 going from 950 up to 1100 on the renovated and, and we're realizing as much as like 1350 on on some of them which is yeah i know right like it's crazy i mean part of amazing it, yeah part of it is market part of it is other things but um yeah, it's, it's very interesting to, to be involved actively in multifamily yeah. during during this time. Yeah, it's and nothing. it gives the, the incentive, right, to continue renovating those units uh, to be able to then, right, exceed those, those expectations, those return expectations for investors and for the group ourselves to the general partnership group. Nothing like uh, 20% over your underwritten rents. I got to love it. So congrats for that. <laughs> um, last question before we go is, um, you know, given the turmoil right now, lots of hate on landlords, lots of, um, you know, political issues right now. What advice or guidance can you give to the multifamily operators who are in a deal, getting into a deal on how they should be operating their properties over the next six or 12 months? Yeah, I would say to focus on the tenants, right, on the residents. I think that's been huge for us. And we've seen that, you know, coming in and turning some of the units, improving the, you know, the exteriors, the pool was not functioning for a very long time, uh, you know, improving a lot of the 
the people that were getting some people out from the property that were problem tenants um, it has helped the entire community right and, and we've heard that from tenants directly where you know they appreciate being in a safer community it's it's very family oriented and so you know now people use the pool and feel like it's it's their home right for the ones that are deciding to stay and you know and renew leases and, and are in good standing and so I think when you focus on you know it, it can be a win-win scenario right you can do good for your investors do good for yourself uh, you know, as a sponsorship group and do good for your residents. I don't think it has to be either one. It can be a win-win-win scenario, depending on how you handle things. And, uh, you know, that communication, I think, is key, right? Uh, maintaining that open line of communication with, with everybody across the board and letting them know when the rents are $1,350, that's great. But also when the rents are not $1,350, that should still be communicated to investors, right? So yeah. I think just communicating on a regular basis and and, you know, performing right communication performing and and doing the right thing at the end of the day i think is, is really what's going to get you there yeah and i would i would add justin um to daisy's point it's not a zero-sum game you know uh it doesn't life doesn't have to be that way um and then if you take a step back also it's just sticking to your core values whatever those are right i mean people look at things different ways but it's like for us it's doing what you say you're going to do and and making the right choice for all parties involved so i think going in from that perspective then the decisions become easy at that point which ones to make because you're you're staying true to to who you are and and what you believe in great advice this is not a zero sum game and the best operators are the ones who can figure out how to create win 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 scenarios without sacrificing core values while also maintaining profitability for their properties Jerome said a lot of the same. Here he is. You have to do the right thing. That's the right thing, right? I, one of the things that Dr. James Bryan and I talk about pretty regularly, partnering just about every deal that I've done, is like you have to remove the money from that piece of it and actually make a decision based on the principles. And once that right answer is the right answer, regardless of the inconvenience of the financial implications. I think a lot of times we may adjust our morals or values based on, hey, is this a $30 thing or a $30,000 thing? But always remember that the right thing is the right thing, even in the tough times. And you can make more money and you will make more money, I think, if you treat your residents well and you do the right thing by your property. Kyle stresses the importance of paying attention to detail and communication. Yeah, hands-on attention to detail. Don't let it fall by the wayside. You know, this is something that is, it's a huge effect on the industry and uh, we don't know how much longer it's going to go. Now with the Delta variant coming in, if that increases, they may extend this eviction moratorium for another 12 months. So you have to do your job in communicating with your residents, trying to help them where possible, holding people accountable, and just being on top of your operations and working with your property management company as partners. Just sitting there doing nothing is not going to help anything. So I think you know a lot of times people rely on the management company to handle a lot of things. I think this is a time where the owners need to really step in, help them with their processes and procedures to get the most efficiency out of it. Because there's operators out there who have still done really, really well during COVID, during the eviction moratorium. And then I'm sure there's others that just haven't. And those are the ones that are kind of waiting on the sideline, not taking action. Here are Alex's final thoughts. I think that there is a cultural movement, not a new cultural movement in terms of humanity, but definitely a new cultural movement in America. I think there's a movement towards this anti-landlord sentiment. And I think that that may continue and it may create some weird things in low-class housing where the government comes in. And, you know, I would not be surprised if you start seeing rent control become more popular. 
or things like not available to evict or things like they're doing in Washington where you can't use a credit score or a criminal history to vet a tenant anymore. It scares me because the trend is increasing, not decreasing. So I think we're going to get more of this. Uh, my opinion, you know, scalability will help, but you got to buy good deals. You got to buy them on good debt. And I think for me, in a perfect world, I would start going more A-class. I don't know that I'm able to do that, but that's going to eliminate a lot of some of these incoming problems, in my opinion. Wow. What an episode. These operators are working incredibly hard every day to make sure their properties are successful. Taking in consideration the political firestorm in the media these days, the changing legislation, dealing with challenging tenants, I really cannot say enough about all these people who agreed to come on my show and share their stories with us. Here's what it boils down to. Do the right thing for your investors and your tenants. Over-communicate. Pay attention to the details. Keep in touch with other operators. Compare notes. Push hard to get those state and local aid programs rolling. At the end of the day, if you take care of your tenants and you take care of your properties, you will get through this. We all will. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your eviction moratorium story, please connect with us on social media or send me an email at justin at truemultifamily.show. I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.